Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for all the dads who are here today. Lord, I pray your blessing upon them. I pray that we would be a Christ-like example that we can, that our kids can follow and our grandkids, that we can be the, the men of God you've called us to be, to be the spiritual leaders in our home. I pray we would not be too busy to minister to our kids. That we would make our, our family the priority. We know that our kids spell love, T-I-M-E. May we take time. <clears throat> May we not be so busy uh, at work or about our hobbies or even about the Lord's work, not to have time for our children. So help us, Lord, to follow the pattern of the greatest father of all, and that's you. And we praise you, Lord, on this Father's Day. And we thank you that you're our Father. And we thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And we thank you for the fact that you are indeed the perfect example that we are called to follow. And Lord, we ask as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we thank you for the Bible, the living, breathing word of God. And just speak to us, Lord. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Sorry about that. Whew. You just never know when grief's going to hit you. Just does. Oh, what, what I would give for a bear hug this, from him. Yeah, wow. Okay. So, first John. John is counteracting what's happening with false teachers. The church is only about 40 to 50 years old and already there's people coming in and changing the gospel. And this letter is largely speaking to the Gnostics. Now the Gnostics were a group that believed that they had a special message from God. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like every cult on the planet today. And they felt like they had a special message from God and part of what they believed, it had two extremes. One was that if your soul is saved, your soul and your flesh are different. So they're, they're, not, they're not a part of each other. They're separated from each other. So if you gave your life to the Lord and you've been born again and your, your soul has is, is been redeemed, it doesn't matter what you do with your flesh because your flesh is evil anyway. So that, does that sound like a man-centered thing or what? So I can go out and drink and party and sleep around and lie, cheat, and steal, and I can live like the devil because that's just my flesh that's evil anyway. So it just doesn't matter what I do in my flesh because my spirit is saved. Well, we all know that's nonsense. But then you have the other extreme within the Gnostics who believed that they could come to a point of sinless perfection. And there's nothing new under the sun. Do you know that there's people on this planet today that call themselves Christians who think they've attained sinless perfection? That's never been a problem for me because I know better. How about you? Do you ever, have you ever even crossed your mind that you've achieved sinless perfection? If you have even thought that for a moment, we know you're prideful and that's a sin. Amen? So you have these two extremes and those that 
what they would do is they would literally like torture themselves and deny themselves things. It'd be really monistic. And then what they would do is, you see this like with sometimes the lost tribes and stuff where they're like sticking things to their arms to prove their love for God or they wound themselves. And you saw that in the Old Testament days with some of the false prophets, the prophets of Baal would wound themselves for, for the, to serve their God. And so these extremes came along and they were speaking with authority and they were saying that they were the only ones that had the truth. Sounds like Joseph Smith and Charles Taze Russell and, and L. Ron Hubbard and everybody else who's began a cult by saying they've got a divine message from God. Now, what's interesting is the guy writing this letter, at the time he writes this, more than likely is the guy who would walk with the Lord longer than anybody else because he's John the Beloved, remember? It's, you know, Peter, James, and John were in the inner core. It's believed by this time Peter was already gone. All the other apostles were gone. He's going to be the one that writes the book of Revelation. And so here he is, having hung out with Jesus, knew the Lord, had his head on his chest when, you know, at the Last Supper. He was the last one at the cross. He was given care of Mary when Jesus died on the cross and said, take care of my earthly mother, and he did. So can you imagine him knowing the Lord the way he knew the Lord, having somebody teach something contrary about his Savior, how might he respond? And the truth is, that's the way all of us should respond, because we who've been born again, we don't just know about Jesus, we know Jesus, amen? We know him. We have a relationship with him. And that's why it's frustrating for me when as Christians, I understand the balance. We want to be kind and loving and gracious, and we should be. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, but we must not sit back and say nothing when our Savior's being blasphemed, Amen? Or when there's a false gospel being preached, we need to stand up and say something about it. So he's counteracting these false teachings. And I pray that, again, we would know that we make no, by the way, we make no special claims here that we have any special knowledge that isn't available to everyone. Because it's in the Bible, amen? And it's the Holy Spirit who illuminates the truth. And anytime somebody says, oh, I got a new fresh word from the Lord that no one else has ever seen. If no one else has ever seen it, it's not in there. If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. Amen? And you know what? I've been, I've been teaching the Bible for 34 years and I'm still learning. How about you? We're still growing in our relationship with God. We never arrive. Amen? So... These false teachers are seeking to gather crowds into themselves, and the way they often do it is, oh, we have a new word. And it's always amazing how their new word is, makes Jesus less and man more. It's always that way. It always makes it something that feeds the flesh of men. You know, if you become a Mormon, you can be God of your own planet, you'll have a bunch of women serving you for the rest of your life, and you'll just be popping out babies, and they'll all worship you, and you'll be the God of your own planet. Where do I sign up for that? Is that a man-centered gospel? Such a man-centered gospel. And the same is true of every cult out there. They make Jesus less and man more. And the reality is, what did John the Baptist say? I must decrease that he might increase. There needs to be less of us and more of him. Amen? Now, this morning's text is one that is very quoted by Christians. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful, wonderful text. And as Christians... You know, we have the truth and the empowering work of the Holy Spirit to help us to understand, and we don't want to be drawn away from the truth. And so in these next, these six verses we're going to look at this morning, I want to encourage you 
that these are verses you want to not only underline in your Bible, but memorize. These are verses that should be a source of encouragement, a source of strength, and a source even of rebuke when necessary. So again, the theme of the whole book of 1 John is fellowship. It's having fellowship with God. What does intimate fellowship with God we saw? In cha- we're seeing in chapter 1, it produces happiness. We saw that last week. It protects holiness. We'll see that in chapter 2. It prevents heresy, and it provides hope. And last week, we saw the fullness of joy. You know, Right now, like I I say this a lot lately because it's true, I'm talking to more and more Christians who are kind of in despair. They're really having a hard time with what's going on in the world right now. And they ask me if I am, and I'll be be honest with you, no, I'm not. Let me tell you why I'm not, because God wins. Amen? I know the end. I've read the end of the book. God wins. I know that God is in control. Did God know all this was going to happen before the foundation of the world? What's the answer? Matter of fact, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Guys, here's the good news. If we're getting more and more wicked on this planet, we're just getting more and more closer to Jesus Christ coming back and heaven's way better. Amen? So in the meantime, we have hope. We have joy. We have peace because we know the Prince of Peace. And people are looking for hope. They want to know how to have joy. They want to know how to have peace. We must not keep it to ourselves. Amen? We need to share it with them. So grab your outline for this morning. And I tell the message, principles of true fellowship with God. See, the sad part is when judgment day comes, the word of God warns us and tells us, there'll be those who say, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name, right? And he'll say, depart from me for I never knew you. And see, Christianity isn't attending church. Well, attending church is important for sake, not getting yourselves together. The Christianity isn't just calling yourself a Christian. And it's not even just reading your Bible and reading your Bible. Of course, that's essential. It's part of how we grow spiritually. But guys, if you're putting your faith in your Bible reading plan or the fact that you go to church or the fact that you call yourself a Christian, that by itself will not save you. Amen? Amen. We need to be born again. We need to be born again. And here's my heart. I don't want anybody who's here this morning, or anybody who calls this their church home, to be under the false assumption that they're saved if they're not. And so this morning, I'm going to, shocker, I'm going to be direct, okay? And you know what? We need, we need the word of God to be direct and poured right into our hearts, amen? So, three points. Going beyond religion to a relationship with God. All these people on the internet, I'm de- deconstructing my faith. If you can deconstruct it, you never had it. Amen? Well, I'm just backpedaling on my faith. Oh, I'm re-examining. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm following my truth. Well, you don't have a truth. All you have is a lie. Jesus is the truth. Amen? And so three things we're going to look at. First of all, going beyond religion to relationship with God. Not just knowing about God. Not just joining an organization. Not just having a get-out-of-hell-free card and a baptismal certificate. But tr- not a church membership. But having a relationship with the Lord. First, how do we do that? First, coming to grips with the true nature of God. Our God is perfect, he is holy, and he's the light of the world. Amen? Now, he's a loving, gracious, and merciful God, but he's also a righteous God. And because he is righteous, he cannot allow sin to go unjudged, and he cannot have sin in his presence. So, yes, we love his grace, but we should also love his holiness. Amen? And his righteousness. And we're going to see that. Because he is perfect, holy, and righteous, you can't ignore your sin and expect to have a relationship with him. You can't be good enough to be in fellowship with him apart from Christ. And only through a repentant heart can we come out of the darkness and into the light. Point number two, 
Not only coming to grips with the true nature of God. By the way, he's not the God the way you define him. People say, well, my God would never do that. You're right, because your God doesn't exist. Amen? My God would never do that. My God would never do that. You don't know God. That's why. Amen? So God isn't defined by your feelings. He's not defined by your politics. He's not defined by culture. He's defined by the word of God. Amen? So the word of God is always the final court of authority, and this is where we need to turn. Number two, their belief that is reflected in our behavior. So true fellowship will be evident in how we live. I had a guy years ago who told me, well, yeah, I got saved like 20 years ago, but I really only started walking with the Lord like six months ago. I said, well, so what were you doing for 20 years? I was sleeping around, I was partying, I was doing drugs, I was this, I was that. I go, dude, you weren't saved. He goes, how dare you? I go, how dare you say you were saved and your life didn't change? Amen? Stephen Curtis Chapman, now that you know I'm old, I just said that, and 90% of you have no idea who that is. But he has a song called, What About the Change? What about the change? Guys, if there's been no transformation, there's been no salvation. Amen? If any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Now look, it doesn't mean we're sinless or perfect, but the way we view sin and the way we view our life is radically different because we used to be dead in our trespasses and sins, and now we're alive in Christ. And the Holy Spirit's come to live inside of us, and the Holy Spirit is not going to walk around with you living a godless, sinful, rebellious life and not bring conviction if you've been born again. Amen? So if you can walk in sin and not be convicted, you're not saved. Pastor Dave, that's judgmental. No, that's biblical. Amen? Now, look, you all know I love you deeply. The Lord loves you far more than I could ever love you. But you know what? It was while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we think we can get there without the Lord, we are blaspheming the cross of Calvary. Amen? Amen. If you could get there without Jesus, then why did he have to go to the cross? Amen. If you're following anybody else, who else rose from the dead? Muhammad's dead. Buddha's dead. Hari Krishna's dead, amen? Charles Taze Russell's dead. L. Ron Hubbard's dead. We can dig up all their bones. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death, amen? And so be, belief is reflected in our behavior. Our behavior is a reflection of what we really believe. If we're walking in the light, We'll have a life pursuing holiness and obedience that responds to the conviction with repentance. If we're walking in darkness, we'll live a life of rebellion and convictionless disobedience. How do you feel when you sin? There's the acid test on whether or not you're saved. If, if you sin and you're, you're good with it, how many of you guys sinned this week? Okay, every hand should be up. We're all sinners, amen? But the difference is, and we're not sinless, but we should sin less, Amen. But that being said, but when we sin, how do we feel about our sin? We hate it if we're born again. Amen? We're convicted. Like, Lord, why am I? Lord, help me. Lord, forgive me. How many of you guys have had a sin that's so heavy that you keep asking God for forgiveness over and over and over? Anybody besides me ever done that? Now, we know that he forgives you the first time. We'll see that in this morning's text. But when you've done something really horrible, you're like, you ask God to forgive you. Then five minutes later, you're like, oh, Lord, you really, you, man, I, Lord, please forgive me. They drive you in your car. Pull up, forgive me. Am I the only one that ever has that happen to them? But he is faithful and just to forgive us, amen? But he won't forgive those who don't ask for forgiveness and don't respond. So belief is reflecting our behavior and then finally recognizing our sin and our desperate need for him. Again, we respond to sin not by ignoring it, 
not by excusing it, not by acting like it doesn't exist, but by coming before God, broken and repentant, confessing our sin. Amen? So let's begin there in verse 5 of 1 John, looking at principles for true fellowship with God, first coming to grips with the true nature of God. Now, remember John's sharing this. He just talked about the fullness of joy. He's addressing uh, all false teaching, but largely that false teaching that was taking that plate at the plate time at that moment. All these false messages were going out, and here's what he says: This is the message. Any other message you've heard is not the message. Any other path to God is not a path to God. Any other religion, any other direction, anything apart from this and beside this is not the truth. This is the message. This is a claim to authority. Do you know that as Christians, we should never speak with arrogance, but we can speak with authority. Amen? Because God's word says so. People will say that to me, I'll, sh- I'll say something and go, how dare you say that? I said, I-, I can speak with authority because the word of God says so. It's not my opinion, it's the word of God. When I do counseling with people, people often ask me, what do you think? I don't- what I think is irrelevant. Here's what the Bible says. Amen? So we can speak with authority. And if anybody could speak with authority, it was John. He was the beloved The one whom Jesus loved, that's how he referred to himself. And some thought that was arrogance. I think it was humility that he was blown away by the fact that Jesus loved him so much. And you know what? I think we all should feel that way. Amen? We should all be blown away that Jesus loves us so much. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. It's not a message. It's not a truth. It's the message. In a time when the truth of the gospel was being polluted by false doctrine, and the Gnostics and false teachers in a time when truth desperately needed to be heard and proclaimed openly and boldly yet again, John speaks the truth into the doubt and confusion that many of these early Christians were struggling with. Let me tell you something. Is there anything new under the sun? Don't we live in the same time right now? Don't we have people who call themselves Christians who are confused and struggling And I want to say that it all begins in the pulpits of America where we have pastors watering down the gospel and ashamed to speak out against what the word of God says and trying to make people feel comfortable in their sin. And if I make you feel comfortable in your sin, fire me tomorrow. Amen? We got to stop that. Why? Because we need to care more about people's eternity than their feelings in the here and now. Amen? If the word of God steps on your toes, your feet in the wrong place. Amen? Move them. There were some in those days that might have started thinking, maybe the Gnostics are right. You know, maybe, maybe I can just go out and live a sinful life. Like, I might get a hell free card. It's in my wallet. I, can just, I prayed that prayer. So maybe I can just go live like the world and I'll be okay. Now, again, as Christians, we're not saved by good works, but by your fruit they shall know you. And we're not saved because we're, we're good. We're saved because he's good. But at the same time, if you're walking and living in open rebellion against the word of God and you're not convicted, where's the Holy Spirit in your life? As long as I've committed my, my spirit to the Lord, why can't I just go out and be like the world? Here's what they're saying. I can just ignore my sin. 
You know why a lot of people want to shut down, why do they want to shut down churches? Why do they want to, why do they take your stuff down off of, off of social media? Because people don't want to hear the truth. Because it's not convenient if you want to live an ungodly lifestyle. Amen? I don't want to hear that. Keep it to yourself. Keep your faith to yourself. Again, we have the antidote to the disease that's killing everyone. It's called sin. And the antidote is Jesus Christ him crucified and risen from the dead. And we would be the most selfish people on the planet if we kept it to ourselves. Amen? Maybe I've grown. Then the other option was to ignore sin. Or maybe I've grown so much spiritually, I've ascended to a higher plane where sin is no longer a problem for me. After God already paid for it and removed my sin, I've been enlightened in the truth and I've conquered sin. So there were some that ignored sin and some that thought they had conquered sin. And in both cases, they're wrong. Amen? So he's preaching this truth in the midst of that. He wants to get their focus back on the truth. False doctrines, again, are still prevalent today. I can ignore my sin. Well, it's not sin for me. Because this is not, I'm living my truth. You know, it's my truth, you know. It's my truth. I'm going to throw up every time I hear that. There's nothing more nauseating than someone saying, I'm living my truth. Or when they start talking to you, well, you live your truth, I'll live my truth. And we'll both live lies then, amen? <laughs> There's the truth. There's no my truth. Your feelings, okay, you ready? Don't matter. Amen? Do your feelings ever lie to you? What's the answer? Yes. Okay, now look, we want to love on you if you're hurting. In that sense, your feelings do matter, but your feelings don't matter when it comes to the plan of salvation. You're not going to stand for God on judgment day, but I just felt. You know what's good? He felt like going to the cross for you, and that's what matters. Amen? Amen. Our feelings lie to us. Our feelings will tell us that this, this is okay. Well, I want to do it. Well, God wouldn't make me this way and make me want to live this way unless it was okay with him. Well, here's the reality. He made Adam and Eve perfect. The rest of us came out sinful. Amen? And guess what? We were born with desires of the flesh. Amen? And that's why we must be born again. Amen? So it's not, well, but I feel, if I, if I feel this way, God must be okay with it. The latest one now is you have uh, pedophiles and stuff saying, well, God made me this way. I'm attracted to small children. It must be okay. No! How ridiculous does that sound? But that's what we do. We make excuses for our sin. We ignore our sin. We say, I'm not a sinner. Satan's tactics haven't changed. He wants you to question the word of God. What did he say to even the guard? Did God really say? And we have these people today that claim to be authorities on the Bible until you start talking to them and they've never read it. And there's the other thing. They don't know the author. Amen. And so, guys, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it, and we need to lovingly and graciously, but boldly, take a stand for the truth when those divine opportunities come our way. Amen? Pray for those opportunities. People need to hear. In these times when lies are being proclaimed with such boldness, there's a desperate need for an even bolder proclamation of the truth. And here John refutes these lies with a clear and direct reminder of the truth. This is the message, not a message or one of many messages, but the only message. But where did John get the authority to speak with such boldness and surety that he was proclaiming the truth? How could he do that? Well, the key source was not his feelings and it wasn't his human intellect. But notice what it says here. 
This is the message which we have heard from who? From him. Should be capitalized in your Bible. Who's him? Who is that? It's Jesus. I am delivering the message to you that I heard from Jesus. These Gnostics never met Jesus. They've never been anywhere near Jesus. They're coming up with their own path and their own way of living, and they want to sanctify it. And they've never met the Lord, but they, they claim to be an authority that knows better than the Lord. Well, I'm giving you the message straight from the Lord. And guys, that's the only message we should give. Our opinions don't matter either. And again, our feelings can be true, but they can also lie to us. What I mean by that is they can be real. When you have feelings, they're real feelings, right? Amen? But just because you feel it doesn't mean it's the truth or it's honoring to the Lord. Amen? And so the exhortation here is, look, I'm not speaking from my feelings to you guys. This is what John's saying. I'm not speaking from my own intellect. I'm speaking from the author himself. I'm speaking, I'm giving you the message that was given to me directly by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Almighty God, the Alpha and the Omega. Amen? He spoke to me. This is the word. This is the message. And we don't want to deviate. And guys, we need to do the same. I don't care. People, people try to give me books. Oh, if you read this book, it'll change your life. I'm reading a book that changes my life all the time. It's right here. Amen? And again, you can have, you have people starting to follow other men, and they, they, they only read their commentaries. They only read, and again, okay, God can use those things. But we don't want to be followers of, you know, I'm a follower of Peter. I'm a follower of Apollo. Some, no, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? We don't align with men. We align with the Lord and trust him. So where did John get the authority? He got it from the Lord. It's not John's word, but God's word, which we had heard directly from him. And again, the Gnostics made claims about one they'd never met. Well, well my Jesus would be okay with that. No, he wouldn't. Well, first of all, there, your Jesus doesn't exist. Again, there's this mentality where we can, there was this thing called the, the Jesus Seminar. And uh, this was, I don't know, 20 years ago, maybe longer. And what they did is they got a bunch of these religious figures together and they read through the Bible and they all had white and black marbles. And what they would do is they would read a sentence and say, do you think Jesus really said that? And if one black marble came out, they would line that out. And they would decide what Jesus said and what Jesus didn't say. Could there be any, anything more blasphemous and foolish than that? And we live in a world today that does the same thing. They'll try to change the word of God to accommodate the way they want to live life. They thought they knew better. They thought they had a special revelation. They changed his message. Then he says there, message which we have heard from him and declare to you. The word there is announced. John's simply proclaiming God's message about himself. The word, Jesus is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. And so when we want to see Jesus, we open up his word. When we want to know the heart of our Savior, we read his word. And the final court of authority in every decision we make, every conversation that we have, and every position that we take spiritually needs to be the word of God. What John tells us is that God has already told us about himself. A great example of what we should be proclaiming, not our opinions or our ideas about God, but what he has told us about himself. Preach the word, not your opinions. Amen? And we live in a time right now where everybody's got an opinion. Everybody wants to argue. By the way, those arguments online, how do those work out? People getting saved left and right through those arguments? 
People, people being born again because we're arguing. Guys, we need to quit arguing about stuff that's temporal and quit trying to win arguments and let's just win people to Jesus by loving them in Jesus' name and giving them the truth of the gospel but doing it in a kind and loving way. Can I get an amen to that? And that's what we need to be doing. Now, he says of the Lord, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. Throughout the scripture, God and his glory are often described in terms of light. We see it throughout the word. Remember when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, right? Remember that the, they came to Mount Sinai, God spoke from the mountain, and all the people were so scared to death. They said, Moses, we can't take it. The earth shook. You go talk to him. We'll hang out down here. We're going to have a drunken orgy while we're gone, but we, we won't mention that yet. But that's what they ended up doing. And Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and spends 40 days with the Lord. And when he came down, what, 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 is, what was his face doing? It was glowing. All he did was see the backside of our Savior. It said he, God put him into the cleft of the rock, covered him with his hand, and he saw the backside of God going by, and he came down glowing in the dark. Guys, in our God, there is no darkness at all. Amen. He is the light of the world. Amen? Amen? And so we should be a reflection of him. It says in Psalm 104, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak stretching out heaven like a curtain. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, who's writing this letter, who God's, the Holy Spirit's writing it, using his hand. He was called up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And there on the Mount of Transfiguration, we see Jesus in his glorified body. And he's there with Elijah and Moses and they're talking amongst themselves. And they wake up and they see him in his glorified body. And they see that again, he's veiled himself in a sense while he was here upon the earth. And Jesus gave Peter, James, and John a glimpse of his full glory as he manifests himself as light. In Matthew 17, it says, he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white light. Let me read something to you from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Don't turn your Bible. I don't like to play Bible chase. So it says this. You can look at it later. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 3 through 6 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age have blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown into the hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, and amen. He is the light of the world. He speaks into the darkness. You know, when you're, when you're walking in the dark, it's a mess, isn't it? Half, half the time when you walk in the dark, you get hurt. You're bumping into stuff. You know what, guys? The world is walking in darkness. Their, their lives are directionless. They're grasping for things they cannot comprehend. Guys, we're walking in the light, the truth of the gospel, and the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's why we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God. We're, look, we're not better than people who don't know God. We're, it's there for the grace of God goes every one of us. Amen? So when we look at people, we need to love them the way the Lord loves them, and we need to recognize that, again, that we're no longer walking in the dark, so we need to show, point them to the, to the true, 
the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus declared, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Some of you got saved later in life, and this is especially true for you. Remember what your life was like before you gave your life to Jesus. Remember what your priorities were, what your passions were. Do you remember how you made decisions and what your life was like? And then you gave your life to Jesus, and everything changed. Can I get an amen to that? You gave your life to the Lord, and all of a sudden, what used to be important isn't as important. All of a sudden, you have an eternal perspective. All of a sudden, you're, when you sinned before, you reveled in it, and you bragged about it, and now you're grieved by it. It transforms your life, because you're no longer walking in darkness. It says in Ephesians, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Jesus is the word. The Bible tells us that the light is the word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Why is it that people are so directionless? Why, why are they chasing the next thing to try to satisfy their flesh and it's not working out? All these perversions and all these things that are taking place in the world today. If you ever sit, and I've sat down with hundreds and you sit down and talk to them and there's no peace in the midst of that. It's a mess. The, the enemy wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He will draw you into things that will bring destruction. And here the Lord is the light of the world. He'll give you understanding. Light is a picture of goodness and holiness and darkness is a picture of sin. God is light, says there, and in him there is no darkness. God is holy. He is perfect. He is sinless without a hint of sin or darkness. By the way, can dark and light coexist? What's the answer? They can't. You go into the darkest room in the world and you light a, a, you know, a big lighter and the light casts out darkness, amen? When you flip on a halogen light, it's all gone, amen? And so as, look, we cannot exist both in light and in darkness. You and I, prior to salvation, were spiritually blind and walking in the dark. But when we have truly been born again, his light rubs off on us like Moses. And it should, we should be glowing in the dark for Jesus, Amen? Maybe not physically the way that Moses was, but we should living, be living in such a way that people go, what's different about you? Why aren't you at the gas pump cussing like everyone else? <laughs> Why are you at the gas pump singing praise songs? Because heaven's better and this is but temporary, amen? It's just a different perspective that takes place when you've been born again. It's no longer about trying to feed the things of your flesh that will never be satisfied, by the way. Who can say amen to that? The enemy will always lie. Oh, do that. Then you'll feel, oh, you got you to sow your wild oats. You know what sowing wild oats does? Grow wild trees. Amen? It just makes it worse. It becomes greater. becomes stronger. Your flesh will never be satisfied. God is holy, perfect, without a hint of sin. And you and I, prior to salvation, again, we're spiritually blind. Now that his light is in us, it exposes and convicts us of our sin. The only way we can walk in darkness is to walk away from God. There's a problem in our relationship with him. It's our fault. If you're hanging out with the Lord, you're going to be walking in the light. And if the only way you can walk in darkness is if you make the conscious choice to rebel and walk away from the Lord. And again, as believers, we used to call that in the 70s backsliding. Oh, he's backslidden. Pray for him. He's backslidden. As a kid, I'd always imagine them on their back going down a mud hill, you know, just sliding away from the Lord. But the reality is that we can have moments where we choose to rebel against God. Amen? 
where we can allow the circumstances of this life or God didn't give me what I wanted or we can have things, you know, we, we go through something really difficult and in the midst of difficulty, you got one or two choices. You can run to God or you can run from him. Amen? The truth is that I am closer to the Lord today than I've ever been in my life. And part of that's because my son went to heaven. And I had a choice. I could be mad at God or I could be thankful for him and his promises that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the fact that my son closed his eyes on earth and he opened him up in glory and I'm gonna see my son again. And where else would I go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Amen? And see, whenever you're struggling, if you're struggling with depression, the enemy wants you to go deal with that in, in a way that's going to feed your flesh. If you're struggling with whatever else may be going on in your life right now, the enemy wants you to just take that as an excuse to go out and feed your flesh, which will only make things worse. But we can run to the Lord. In him, there is no darkness at all. So we need to come to the grips of the true nature of God. He is holy. He is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. He and darkness cannot coexist. He and sin cannot be in the same place. That's why we can't have one sin in heaven or we'd have earth part two. Amen? It was one sin that brought the destruction of this planet that brought us to where we are today, right? If there was one sin in heaven, and there can't be because he's a perfect holy God. Well, wait a minute. I, I, I raised my hand when you said, am I a sinner? So I can't go. Well, we can't if we stay in our sin, but that's why Jesus came. And went to the cross of Calvary and took all of our sin upon himself and suffered and died in your place and paid the price for you so that you and I might have eternal life. Muhammad didn't die on the cross. Amen? None of the false prophets of this world died on the cross. And none of them rose from the dead. We serve a risen and a living Savior. Point number two, belief that is reflected in our behaviors. He's a God of light. In him, there's no darkness at all. I'm giving you the true message. It's not these false messages that feed your flesh. I'm giving you the truth. It's Jesus. He's the answer. We follow him. And then he says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In direct contrast to the false doctrine of the Gnostics, that we can believe one way and be saved, and yet because our flesh is evil, live another way, the Gnostics were teaching, yeah, you can be saved and live like the world. When I was a youth pastor, I used to ask this question all the time, and I was reminded of it. If we were to follow you around for the next two weeks and videotape everything you did, everything you said, and we had the ability to videotape everything you thought. And then we put you on trial for being a Christian. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Only you know. Would they, would they, would they see you in the word? Would they see you on, the, the, you on your knees? Would they see you praying, loving on and ministering to your family? Would they see you being faithful in the workplace? Would they see you worshiping the Lord out loud and unashamed? Would they see you living a different life? Would they see you living a life of holiness and conviction, not perfection? And when they see you, when you sinned, getting on your knees and asking God to forgive you? Or would they look at you and say, you're just like everyone else? Now again, our good works don't save us, but good works are fruit of our salvation. Amen? Here's what he, that's what he's saying here is, look, if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, if we say that we're born again, but we don't live like it, and I'm not talking for a moment, and I'm not talking about, you know, by the way, the closer I get to the Lord, the more I hate my sin. How about you? Hate, I hate my sin. I hate it. I 
hate it. You know, the apostle Paul said early on, he said, I'm the least of the apostles. And when he got to the end of his life, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. See, the closer he got to the Lord, the more he recognized the, own sin, the sin in his own life. And the more his heart was broken by it. Holiness for me, grace for everyone else. Lord, help us to walk in obedience to your word. So here we have a direct rebuke of their teaching. The word fellowship there, being in fellowship with God, is communion. It means to be in communion with God. So if we say we have communion with God, by the way, the word fellowship is in 1 John 23 times. So this letter is really about, not about just having fellowship with each other, but it's really about us having fellowship with God. Do you have a relationship with God? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Are you married to Jesus? We're the bride of Christ. Amen? Amen. I'm reminded that when we go through great trials and the enemy wants to come and tell us that God doesn't care about us, I can just hear God saying to Satan, you're messing with my bride. Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad? We're his bride. So if we say we have communion, we walk in fellowship, one who is perfect in holy light, yet there is no light in our life, something's wrong. The word walk there is lifestyle. It's habitual behavior. It's a manner of life. It's a pattern of behavior. Yeah, so, you know, look, we may have a moment where something causes us to get angry and we lash out in a moment, but we don't do that again for six months or three, right? But then there's people that are like that all the time. And what it's talking about, if you're living a life where this is a pattern of your behavior, this is how you live. If we went to your neighbors and your coworkers and your family and said, give me three words that describe this person. And they said, oh, angry and bitter and, and you know, doesn't have any joy. And, you know, and, and if that's the pattern of life, you can't have that pattern of life and truly be born again. It's a manner of life and conduct, a pattern of behavior. Walking in the light, not the source of our salvation, but a reflection of our salvation. He says, you're walking in darkness, living a life of ungodliness and sinful behavior. Guys, we should stop apologizing where the word of God says that sin is sin. Amen? And we need to quit watering down words to make sin sound like a mistake. I'm having an affair. You're committing adultery. Amen? It's not a catered affair. There's no balloons here. Amen? We're not, you know, no, it's not, it's, it's, it's adultery. You're rebelling against Almighty God. Amen? And we, we water it down. Now look, I've had, in my own family, I've had a lot of this, and I get it. We'll say, I struggle with addiction. But then what we'll do is we'll make that only a disease that takes away all my responsibility and then now says that, well, this is the way I'm made, so I'm just going to live in it. Look, here's the reality. Addiction, some people struggle more with an addictive personality than others. We can all agree to that. Amen? That being said, can our God free us from it? What's the answer? Yes. Absolutely. If you need help with that, come on Saturday night to Overcomers. We have a ministry right here. Why? Because we know that's a, how many people in this room have somebody they love or in their family that struggles with addiction? Raise your hand. Every hand almost in here is up. Amen? You guys all know that my son died from overdosing because he was struggling with depression. Guys, it's a, it's a real thing and we need to address it in a real way, but we must never make that an excuse to continue in that behavior. Well, I was born, you know, I had a guy tell me, well, yeah, I've cheated my wife 30 times, but I have a sex addiction. I go, no, you're a pervert, bro. You're a philanderer. What are you talking about? Well, I just, I, I went to a doctor and they said, I have addiction. Stop.
bit. Amen? It's excusing away my sin. It's trying to cover it up, make me feel better about it. And again, I take addiction seriously, okay, guys? I, I take it seriously. We need to help people that are struggling with that. Amen? But we don't want to go to the other extreme and say, well, it's just a disease and it's not my fault. And I, Guys, God can free us from it. Amen? And we often need other people to come alongside us to help us do that. It's good for us. Amen? Amen. Fellowship is important. Professing belief with our mouths is meaningless. It was not accompanied by a true heart of repentance. So life in rebellion and convictions disobedience is not the mark of faith, but unbelief. You can't live that life, just live a life contrary to what the Bible says. And it doesn't matter. And we love to pick on the sins that are obvious, like drunkenness and alcohol and adultery and all that. We pick on those because they're so obvious. But the Bible talks about greed, pride. Gossip's always in the same list with murder, by the way. So there are other, you know, we love to pick on someone else's sin because it's more obvious than mine. But we're all sinners, Amen. And we all need to be in a place where our sin grieves us and drives us to our knees saying, Lord, forgive me. And true repentance means I'm going to turn away from it. I'm not going to just ask you to forgive me today and I'm going to go ahead and keep doing it tomorrow. I had a coworker, this is 30 years ago, and he would go out and commit adultery and then hit the Catholic church for, for uh, confession on the way to work every day. And the next day, he'd go out and commit adultery to this one. He was married, commit adultery to this other one, and then he'd hit the confession on the way in. And he came in late to the sales meeting. I was his boss, and he's like, yeah, you know, I was at confession. I go, why bother, bro? What do you do? First of all, you need to confess to men. You need to, you need to get right with the Lord. But here's the reality. If you're going out, and if I, if I come up here and hit Brett with my fist and say I'm sorry, and then I hit him again, and then I say I'm sorry, he's going to go, dude, you ain't sorry. And he'll get up and knock me out anyway, amen? But the reality is that, that we, we can't, we do that with God. We think we could just continue to live this sinful behavior and then just, you know, God, have God cover it up. But it's not just saying the words. Repentance me is an action. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart, amen? It's where I recognize this is sinful and it's wrong. Lord, forgive me. And then you turn this way. You don't say forgive me and then just keep walking in that same direction. That's not true repentance, Amen? Now, do we all have sin that we do more than once? Okay, so we need help, amen? We need to come humbly before the Lord. True repentance is more than emotional. It's here for response to the gospel, but turning around of one's heart and behavior. We profess with our mouth, but our lives don't change. No change, no transformation. There's been no true repentance. Professing to be in fellowship with the Lord, yet living a life of ungodly behavior. You're a liar, you don't practice the truth. That's what it says. You don't practice the truth. True belief is reflected in our behavior. So I looked it up this morning. What percentage of Americans proclaim to be Christians? Now, what's interesting is the last time I looked it up was in the 80s. And the number was 85 to 90%. Now, it's between 65 and 70%. How many of you really believe that 65 to 70% of this country is born-again believers filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, let me ask you a question. If 70% of the people in this country were born-again believers, every bar would close, 
Many clothing stores would go out of business. The movie industry would start making movies that are appropriate for Christians. There would be no debate that marriage is, is between a man and a woman. We wouldn't be killing babies. The divorce rate would be almost zero. We would be cut, we would, uh, we could cut the police force in half, not because we're defunding the police, but because crime went way down. Amen? Courts and jails would be almost empty and the churches and mission fields would be full. We'd be fighting over unbelievers to witness to. <laughs> oh, I saw him first, right? If most people were Christians, <laughs> if most of us were saved, if most of us were walking with the Lord, wouldn't the world be different? So that's the scary part for me. That 65 to 70% of the people in this country say they're Christians. And sadly, most of them are not. Amen? Amen? And that burdens me. That should burden all of us. Just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they know. And I, we don't want to be self-righteous. And we don't, I don't, by the way, I don't want to determine anybody's eternity. That's not my job. I'm not called to that. And I want no part of that. That's the Lord. Amen? But that being said, just because someone says they're a Christian. By the way, I love to do, I love to pull a John Corson. He just assumes everybody's saved. And he talks to him like that. So, you know, I'll be in line at the grocery store and I'll start talking to somebody. I go, hey, bro, go, could you pray for me? I've got this going on in my life right now. <laughs> yeah, hey, you know what? This is going on. Could you pray for my son? This is what's going on in his life. And they look at you like, but I love doing that because they just assume they're saved. He would do it at the gas pump. He'd be at the gas pump talking to the guy next to him. Hey, bro, I'm on my way to a pastor's conference. Could you come over here and pray for me right now? Come on over here. You can lay hands on me and pray for me, man. I'm going to be... <laughs> But you know what that does? It opens the conversation, doesn't it? He goes, I know some people came and prayed with me that didn't know the Lord because they didn't even know how to pray, but they were ashamed not to say they didn't know the Lord because they assumed that I thought they were right. You know what I mean? <laughs> if, the, if America was really 65 to 70% Christians, the word of God would be the primary textbook in all of our schools. It used to be. Jesus' name would be praised and held in reverence instead of being used as a curse word. The internet's main uses would be to reach out to the lost and to edify uh, the world, those who are hurting and then those that need to know the Lord instead of porn and gambling. One of the greatest evidences of salvation is how we begin to view sin. The world ignores it and makes excuses for it and it denies that it even exists. There's no such thing as sin. Who determines sin? This is the way I was made. Well, we were all made in frailty. The example of ignoring it is saying one thing and living another. Belief doesn't match our behavior. We live life as if our sin was not a reality. James deals with this. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks, in the nat looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away and he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. God blesses obedience. Did you know that? The highest form of worship is obedience. Verse 7 says there, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, God is light. He cannot and will not and does not change. He will never be like us. We must become more like him. Amen? As we walk with the Lord, he rubs off on us. Amen? 
We become more like him. As Christians, spirit-filled, redeemed, and forgiven new creations in Christ, we now have fellowship with him, and it should be seen in our walk. You become like who you hang out with. Will you agree with that? When I was a youth pastor, you're going to be, look at your friends, there's your future. If you hang out with people that struggle with a certain thing, you're going to be involved with it right along with them. And you know what? When you walk with people that love the Lord, you're going to grow in your relationship with God. We become like who we hang out with. Well, that's most importantly true with the Lord. If we hang out with the Lord, we will become more like the Lord. We'll never be God. There's two undeniable facts. There is a God and we're not him. Amen. But we'll become more like him. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. To stay current in our walk with him requires confession. As we walk in the light, our sin is exposed. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The life reflects a a transformed life. It reveals our sin and our imperfections. You know, when you read the Bible, don't you get convicted? Anybody besides me? You're reading the Bible like, oh, yeah. And you know, whenever I read the Bible, I always have a pen in my hand and a place nearby where I can get on my knees. Amen? Because... You read, oh, I need to get right with the Lord. And praise God for his word because it reveals the truth. The Holy Spirit conviction produces confession. And confession should be daily, hourly, moment by moment. You've heard me say it, that the sign of spiritual maturity is the amount of time between when you sin and when you repent. It gets to be less and less and less. Maybe when you were an early Christian, you would, you know, you'd be struggling with something and a week later you would ask God to forgive you. Well, the closer you get to the Lord, it goes from weeks to days to hours to minutes to seconds. Amen? Amen. You feel that conviction. The word's not even out of your mouth, and you're, oh, Lord, forgive me. Holy Spirit, head slap, right? Conviction of the Holy Spirit. You used to have hair back there, and that's what happens. (laughs) As long as they believed in their hearts, it didn't matter what their bodies did. This is what what the Gnostics taught. They saw no need for holiness, obedience, or or confession. They saw no connection between belief and behavior. Again, what we have in common as Christians is a common Savior uh, filled with the same Holy Spirit, and we should have a fruitful walk. Final point here, recognizing our sin and our desperate need for Him. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. There was a man by the name of Harry Ironside. He's a commentator. One of the usual potatoes, I call him, a commentator, right? And so he, for, he has commentaries that I really love, but I, in reading his book, reading his books, his first six years, he believed that he had become sinless. And he really believed that. But then it was a disaster because every time he did something wrong, he had to call it a mistake because it couldn't be sin. You just blew that stop sign, bro. I thought you were sinless. Oh, that was a mistake. No, that's called sin, bro. <laughs> Amen. Now, he eventually did confess from that, but this is something we can fall into, and especially if we're legalistic, right? That sinless perfection, holiness movement, living in self-deception, and when they get caught in sin, it's like the people that believe that if you're not healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. Well, oh, the reason that you're in a wheelchair, you just don't have enough faith. Could there be any more harsh and godless thing to say to somebody in a wheelchair? And when we read the Bible, we know that's not true because Paul had a thorn in his flesh all of his life. And it sounds, so Paul didn't have enough faith? But see, these are the things that people will teach. None of us will ever become sinless this side of heaven. Not an excuse to sin, but a truth to be remembered. Just because you say, well, I'll never be sinless, so I might as well just, you know, rip a few off. No. We should hate sin, but recognize again that we'll never be sinless. After the Apostle Paul, again, after 30 years, said, I am the chief 
of sinners. Recognition that we are in desperate need of his grace while not using our promise of his grace and mercy as an excuse to sin. It says that the word there, deceive, there in verse eight, and deceive ourselves. It says, uh, the word literally means planet. Like you think you're from another planet. You think you're just different than all of us. To say we have no sin is to walk in deception, to deny his Holy Spirit's conviction should not be denied, but embraced. I'm, don't you love conviction? I love conviction. You know why I love it? Because those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. And if he's not disciplining you, you're not his. Amen? Verse nine. Now this verse has been referred to as the Christian bar of soap. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. We say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The word confess there is not just a mindless verbal prayer to say the same thing over and over. It's not praying Hail Marys or, you know, doing penance. It's coming before the Lord, your dad, your heavenly father. One of the names for our heavenly father is Abba. Abba is daddy. You don't scream something at daddy as you're running by. You know what's great about daddy? You can crawl up into his lap and you can share your heart, and he will hear you. Amen? Amen? And when we come before the Lord, this is the way we come to him. We don't make excuses for our sin, but to see it and call it for what it is. God brings it to our attention. He makes us aware of it. And confession is a broken and contrite response to the Holy Spirit conviction, a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. When we bring our sin to him, how does he respond? Now that you brought it, oh, I'm, I'm going to remind you of it every day for the rest of your life. You poor and vile people. No, that's not what he does. What does he do? He forgives you. And then what else does he do? He forgets it. He can't forget. He can just choose not to remember. Amen? And he separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. When we come to the Lord and we ask him to forgive us, he forgives us. He's faithful and just to forgive us. That's our God. It says, if it never happened. Now, the Lord also knows if you're manip trying to manipulate him. He's God. You're not. Amen? Well, I'll go and ask him, I'm really sorry, even though I know I'm going back to that girl's house tomorrow night, but I'm going to tell him right now, oh, Lord, I'm really... And he's like, dude, I know where you're going tomorrow. Don't Amen? Amen. Let's, be, let's be transparent with God. He already knows. Amen? Let's confess our sin. I do marriage count. I know we're going to go a couple minutes over. We're almost done. So, someone will say that, well, she keeps bringing up my sin. I'm in marriage counseling. She just brings it up all the time. And it's in my past. Well, when did you do it? An hour ago. No, it's, it's in your present. <laughs> and there's this mentality, well, I can just do whatever I want, make a quick prayer, and then just keep doing it, and then make a quick prayer, and just keep doing it, and don't keep bringing up my past. It's not your past. It's your present, because it's continuing. Amen? Amen? Guys, if we confess, he is faithful to forgive us. And again, even when we really blow it and we want to confess 10 times, you only need to confess once. Amen? Again, John 1, 9 is referred to by some as the Christian bar of soap. You know, it's a way of cleansing ourselves, being reminded again that we've been forgiven. Verse 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. When we say, oh, no, that's not sin. Oh, I don't sin. I ignore my sin. Or I make excuses for my sin. The plumb line for behavior it's not what you believe or what you think. The plumb line for behavior is the word of God. See, the reason why people don't want to believe in a creator, in creation, they don't want to believe in a creator. 
The reason that evolution exists is so they can rule out the creator because if they rule out the creator, then they don't have to be accountable, accountable to the creator. Guess what? There's a creator and we're all accountable to him, whether we believe in him or not. And it did not go from the goo to the zoo to you. God spoke the world into existence. Amen? And, and if you just look around, there's no way you could think anything different. Today we have moral relativism, a moral society, the open flaunting of sinful behavior, the rejection of God's word, all of sin that comes short of the glory of God, and we need a savior. See, we used to be a moral society where we knew right from wrong, we tried to do right. Then we became an immoral society. We knew right from wrong, and we just chose to do wrong. And now we're an amoral society where there are no morals, and the only people that catch any static are the people that have morals. Amen? But see, we don't need a moral society. We need a born-again society. We need people to come to know Jesus Christ. If I'm not a sinner, I don't need to be saved. See, no need for repentance. Have you dealt with your sin in your life? Let me close with this. Are you ignoring it? We all raised our hand that we're sinners. How are you doing with your sin in your life? Are you ignoring it? Are you making excuses for it? Well, I only talk so harshly to my wife because she spent too money on the, much money on the credit, whatever. And we'll make an excuse on why we can act that way. True salvation brings repentance and confession, a transformed life reflected by walking in the light. When repentance is present, believers have a strong desire for God to deal with their sin at any cost, even when the cost may be high to them. Let me close with this. So a, a, a friend of mine that I started a, a, a men's discipleship group. This was back in the 80s and early 90s. And I had a bunch of guys going to the church in Lancaster who I was the youth pastor at the time and doing the men's ministry. And a bunch of guys that would just come to church and leave and you never really see them in anything else. And, and I get it. And I just felt led to call all these guys and say, you know what, I want to start a discipleship group on Saturday mornings at 6 a.m. And I thought, I'm going to call 12 guys. Two guys will do it. By the grace of God, 12 guys did it. And we met for a couple of years. And that number of 12 kept growing. And I remember one guy who came to us one day, and here's what he said, and this is the mark of somebody confessing their sin, being convicted. He worked in aerospace. He was making a lot of money. And he said, guys, because you know, we spend time in the Word, we pray for each other, we keep each other accountable. He goes, 12 years ago when I got hired, I lied on my application. And I told him that I graduated from college and I was actually two classes short. And so I'm going to go in tomorrow and tell my boss that I lied and I'm probably going to lose my job. And he told his wife and she's like, we're going to lose the house. We're going to lose everything. He said, babe, we have to obey God. I lied. I need to go tell my boss. So he went and told his boss and his boss thought he was crazy. Like, bro, you're one of the best workers I have. You've been here 12 years. You just opened up. I can't, I can't just ignore this. But you know what happened? Because of his confession, they went to the, the bosses. They came back and said, you know what, Jeff? The fact that you confessed it this way has really just really spoken to our hearts. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a year to get those last two classes done. Can you do that? Can you take them online? And do you know that he did that? And then he started a Bible study in his office. And do you know that people got saved because he was faithful to tell the truth when it wasn't convenient? Amen? See, that's real conviction is going to produce confession, even if it might cost you something. He could have lost his job. Nobody else in aerospace would have hired him if he got fired from his company for lying. And yet he realized me being obedient to God is more important than my job. Me being obedient to God is more important than anything else in my life. Guys, to obey is better than sacrifice. 
I didn't really handle that verse as much as I would like to, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The enemy wants to keep you from confession. We need to get on our knees and keep short accounts with God and not be satisfied with living, again, a lukewarm walk with the Lord. So in closing, principle for true fellowship with God, coming to grips with the true nature of God. He is light, he's perfect, he's holy, in him there's no darkness at all. Belief is reflected in our behavior. It's not just what we say, but it's how we live. And we recognize our sin and our desperate need for him. And we don't ignore our sin, we don't excuse our sin, we don't act like it doesn't exist, but we come before the Lord broken and repentant, confessing our sin. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. Thank you for everyone in this room this morning, none by chance, all by divine appointment. And Lord, we all know that we're sinners. We all know that we have fallen short of your perfection. But we also know that you're a loving, gracious, and a merciful God. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know us best, and you love us most. You know every wicked, vile thing we've ever done, and you're willing to forgive us. But Lord, we also know that you will not force yourself upon us. That salvation is offered universally, but it's accepted individually. If you're here this morning, the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. It's only between you and the Lord. It's not really up for us, but you know if you've surrendered your life to him. You know if there's areas of your life that you've made more important than God. You know that maybe you may have prayed a prayer at one point in your life, but your life hasn't changed. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Again, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that confession right now. If you're here this morning and, and you, know, you recognize I'm a sinner and I need to surrender my life to the Lord, I want to be born again. I'm ready to, to not just uh, say the words, but to surrender my life fully to him. Raise your hand where you are right now and I'll pray with you. And, those, and that prayer, when you come before the Lord, confessing your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you. He will adopt you into his family. You have the promise of eternal life. It doesn't mean your life will be perfect. You'll still go through trials, but you'll never go through them alone ever again. And you'll have the promise of eternal life. And you know what? On this Father's Day, he can be your father too. Amen? If you're here this morning and it's your desire to surrender your life to the Lord, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are so I can pray with you. Anybody at all? Don't leave here without him. Lord loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. May today be the day of salvation. Anybody at all. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would keep short accounts with you. There's no doubt people in this room, myself included, where we need to, to spend some time on our knees. We know that we're forgiven. We know that our sin has been separated as far as the east is from the west. But Lord, we must not take the sins that we commit in day-to-day -day life lightly become confessing before you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen.